and thank you for that wonderful, warm welcome. Uh, before I get to the sermon, uh, I just want to mention something. Uh, Laura and I, we, we travel quite a bit, and one of the things that happens if you're a pastor, sometimes you find it hard to be fed. <laughs> you know, it's just, you're, it's kind of like you're feeding, 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 and you, and you, you don't get fed in return. But I, I just want to say, as we've been visiting Sojourn uh, for the last few years, because our son, uh, Chris, and Nikki uh, Millward, our daughter-in-law, have started attending this church, and they're members here, I, I just want to say that we, we have received food that endures unto eternal life. I mean, through, amen, through Matt's preaching and through Mason and Meg and the, and the worship team, the way they lead and the praises of God's people, uh, it has been a, a wonderful joy for us to visit you whenever we're in town. So thank you for that. Uh, it's interesting, we come to uh, Thanksgiving week, you know, that week uh, where we're supposed to reflect on everything that we're thankful for. But as I contemplate, like, the events of the last five years and, and the way the culture is going, I look around, I engage with people, consider what's happening in the world today, the anxiety, the depression, addictions, suicide. Uh, it is now said that if you're a people watcher and you were to sit and do people watching and 10 people walk by, you can be certain that nine of them are hurting in some significant way. And so I think it's easy to conclude that there's more wrong than there is right. And, you know, I wonder, you know, instead of Thanksgiving, we might actually do better with complaints giving the way the, the culture has gone. Can you imagine sitting around the table on Thursday and say, I'm unhappy about this? I, mean, I, I don't think that would be good. But boy, the way things have been going, uh, it seems like that would be fitting. In the midst of everything that's wrong, in, including the shallow ways we might attempt to deal with that. Out in the world, one of the things we're seeing today is apathyism. The way we deal with it is we just check out. You know, we, we just don't engage it. We almost pretend it's not happening. But perhaps maybe the way sometimes we deal with it in the church, you know, the things that are wrong and the, the struggles is clicheism. You know, we, we just put a happy face on it. We use some flowery language. We quote a Bible verse, and, and everything's going to be better. Of course, the, the top of all is uh, Romans 8, 28. God causes all things to work together for good. And so we just, we just kind of flower over it. But despite those shallow ways that we might attempt to deal with this, there's this timeless imperative given to Christians by the Apostle Paul. And let me emphasize, this is, he's, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, so this is the Word of God. This is a timeless imperative where he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. You're wondering, like, I don't know, does he really know what's going on in my life? And then if that's not bad enough, in verse 6 he lays another imperative on us and he says, And don't be anxious for anything. I mean, this is, by the way, uh, this, this fails Counseling 101. Like, if you're a counselor, when somebody comes to you and says, I'm really struggling with anxiety, you don't say, don't be anxious. <laughs> you know, you kind of hear them out and, and let, them, let them say their piece and maybe offer some instruction and then, you know, collect the 150. But <laughs> <clears throat> and one might think, you know, well, if he only knew what was going on in my life, he wouldn't be so quick 
to insist on rejoicing or categorically conquering anxiety. Maybe he can't relate. Well, dear brothers, the Apostle Paul is writing from prison. And like I said, his words are God's words, everything inspired by the Holy Spirit, and there is no lack of reality to the trials that he has endured in his life. I think I just put together a little combination of what we see in 2 Corinthians 11 and Acts 14. You know, what Paul writes and what Luke writes, he says, I've endured many imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received 40 lashes, less one. The the, the thinking is that 40 lashes would kill you, so less one would barely allow you to live, right? Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, Luke reports, He was dragged out the city and left for dead after he was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. And the list goes on. And then he says, and apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for the churches. So he himself here even admits that he struggles with anxiety. So how do we make sense of this? And now a few years later, imprisoned in Rome again and waiting for the order to be given for his execution on account of his unwavering gospel ministry, his commitment to Jesus Christ. He writes, this man who's been through all that says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And don't be anxious. So there's no lack of reality. There's no apathyism here with Paul. There's certainly no clicheism. He's been through it. Rather, in the midst of living and ministering in the harshest and most unimaginable conditions, Paul had discovered the peace of God and how to hold fast to that peace in every situation. And this spirit-filled apostle wrote to the church in Philippi to show them what's involved in laying hold of and maintaining that peace. And I think it's especially timely for us today. Amen? I mean, this, this is, I think, what we need to really grapple with in our day amidst all the confusion and all the struggles that we face. So the sermon is simply the peace of God. And specifically, there are three realities laid forth that I want to draw our attention to this morning, and they're all P's. The power of presence, the privilege of prayer, and the practice of pondering. The power of presence, the privilege of prayer, that's almost a tongue twister, and the practice of pondering. So first of all, the power of presence, rejoice in the Lord always, again I say rejoice, Let your reasonableness be made known to all, for the Lord is at hand. And I want to just introduce a little bit of a clue for each point, because each one of these points we make, we're going to see an imperative, which is you have to do this, and we're going to see an indicative. An indicative is something that is just a fact. It is just a clear fact. And I just want to say uh, the imperative does not make the indicative true. The indicative 
is what makes the imperative true. So in other words, just this first one I'll just say, rejoice in the Lord is the imperative. The Lord is at hand is the indicative. If you're seeing me, you're following me here, the Lord is at hand is what makes me rejoice in the Lord. Okay, so that just, just keep that in the back of your mind as we go through these. First off, the Lord is at hand, a fact depicting his presence with his people. Now, we can treat this as a little bit of a throwaway statement because, you know, when we think of the Lord's presence, it could be, yeah, 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 I know the Lord is always present, you know, he's omnipresent. Uh, but I'm not sure what that means for me <clears throat> in real time and space at the street level. You know, what, what does that mean for me? I know it means a lot for me when I go to heaven someday, you know, that, you know, we can be in the presence of, Lord there, of the Lord there, but what does it mean for me today? I feel like I'm just eking my way through life, and I trust that in some spiritual sense, he's probably with me. Let, let's camp there for a moment, because I think one of the issues we're struggling with in today's culture, in today's church world, is especially maybe more leaning in the, the Reformed world, where we're, we really have our doctrine right. Um, is we become very informational and very transactional when in fact we need to be a little more incarnational which will lead to being a little more transformational. So informational. It's we agree with a certain set of propositional truths and if we agree with that certain prop set of propositional truths the transaction is we get to go to heaven. Our sins are forgiven and we get to go to heaven. By the way, all true. And I am not minimizing that to any degree whatsoever. That information is emphatically necessary for our faith and that transaction is absolutely true. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Information, transaction. So it's true, right? Okay, but there's more. And, and I think that more has to do with us conquering some of the stuff that just is weighing us down. And that is coming into an understanding of a living relationship with the living Christ. And not just the information about him, but an actual personal relationship with him. And that's what leads to transformation that changes our hearts, changes our outlook on everything. Think about this. I will never ever leave you. This is his presence. He's talking about his presence. I will always be present with you. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and I will give you rest for your weary souls. I'm present with you. I'm carrying you. Think about the, the footprints in the sand, you know, two foot, sets of footprints. And Lord, every time I had a really rough time in light, I know there was only one set of footprints. Why at those most difficult times would you leave me? Oh, my dear son, my dear daughter, I didn't leave you. It was at that time that I was carrying you. That was the one set of footprints. I mean, he is constantly with us. You are not alone. You, have a, you can have a living, breathing relationship with the living Lord, with the Lord's people in this community, and that is what the Lord has in mind when he says the Lord is at hand. You know, Jesus, on the very night that he would be betrayed, just actually moments probably before he would be betrayed, he prays one final prayer to his Father. 
And in that prayer, he says, I mean, this is really astounding. Think about this. Father, that they may be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, that they may be in us. Now think about that. How different is that from just informational and transactional? Jesus is talking incarnational. He's talking about us being in them, in this living, breathing, family, divine, Christian, church, family that changes lives. That's what Jesus is talking about there in that prayer. Think about it. The final prayer to his father, he repeats that four times. That they may be one even as you, Father, in me and I am you, that they may be in us so that the world would know that you sent me. Do you see it? If you are in Christ, you are never alone. But you have been brought into a personal incarnational relationship with the triune God. And the reality of that and the outcome of that is transformational in that you know with certainty that you're not alone. You know with certainty that the Lord is at hand. You know with certainty that He is one with you, walking with you, walking for you, carrying you, and that He will never leave you. And that's why even in the midst of your worst nightmare, the next thing we read is about your reasonableness, in your worst nightmare, your reasonableness can shine for all to see. Now let me explain that word a little bit. In the Greek, I don't know how the ESV landed on reasonableness, to be honest, because that's not even a word that we use. But here's what's in view there. Um, let your gentle spirit, because you're confident, let your confident spirit, let your comforted spirit, let your persuaded spirit be made known to all. Because if you are in Christ and you are in this living relationship that we're talking about, you are not undone even when something goes wrong. Like perhaps the world might be. You are confident. You are comforted. You know, um, the responses that we have received, by the way, from many of you, maybe some of you don't know that um, our daughter was tragically taken from us on September 4th on Labor Day uh, in a car accident up here. The outpouring of love and kindness from so many people, and, and many of you, and even this morning, people were continually coming up, were, were just amazing to us. And, and uh, one of the words that stands out is it's unimaginable us, what you've been through, and we're, we're just grateful for all those heartfelt thoughts. But you know the response that, that stood out to me uh, more than almost any of them, I would think, is, is a friend of mine that I've known for 45 years, non-believer. He's been unpersuaded in any conversation we've ever had in all those years, and he calls me up and he says, Dan, I'm so sorry about what happened. And we talked for a few minutes. He said, but I know you and your family are going to be fine because of your deep faith in the Lord. Well, 
Why should that mean anything to him? But think about that. Let your reasonableness be made known to all. I haven't been trying to make anything known to anybody, but here my unbelieving friend of 45 years lands on that. Your faith is going to get you through this. And I'm glad, and guess what? He's agreed he's going to look at the Bible with me. Yeah, amen. So, and I thought about it. I can be very hard on myself, but what he was saying from the standpoint of an unbeliever is, I've seen your faith. This all these years that we've been together, I've seen your faith. Actually, I think more than my faith in him, what has gotten us through this time is his presence with us. So it's not so much, yeah, I believe, it's, it's more he's with us through this. I need him, and so do you. Again, I need what he did for me transactionally. Otherwise, there's nothing even to talk about. But here and now, I need him incarnationally, especially at this time. We need him walking with us, uh, myself and my family, in us, for us, carrying us. And that's where that transformational sets in. You know, I was having breakfast with, a, with an old friend, uh, one of the godliest men I know, a uh, little bit older than me. He came to faith uh, in Christ in the Jesus Revolution. Did everybody see that movie, Jesus Revolution? He was back there at that time, and he's been walking with the Lord ever since. But again, godliest man, I look up to him, he's a mentor to me, and we're sitting there at breakfast in a public restaurant down in Detroit, and, and having a wonderful conversation and at one moment I look up at him and his eyes are all welled up with tears. And, and I'm like, Nick, what? And he says, I'm just telling you, Dan, I need Jesus more now than I ever have in my life. And he's been walking with the Lord for 52 years. And he's come to the realization that just agreement with a set of propositional truths isn't the whole story. But he needs the Lord present in his life, and he's telling me this, and then I get teared up, and then we're both sitting in a public restaurant, teared up and crying, and then I'm looking around, and people are looking at us. And I'll say, you know, maybe it's my imagination, but honestly, I don't think the looks were like, I think the looks were like, something's going on there. And, and I think I heard Jesus mentioned a few times. That's, that's kind of the feeling that I got there. All right, let's continue. So we have the power of presence. And then secondly, we have the privilege of prayer. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The God who is at hand and intimately united to you through his son Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit beckons you to make all your requests known to him with the promise that everything will be answered in accordance not with our finite, limited understanding of things but in accordance with his perfect purposes, will, and timing. Just, just think about that for a minute. The God of all the sovereign God of the universe has said he's come to each one of us who
who is in his son, and he has said, talk to me. Come on, talk to me. Complain to me. You don't need to go around complaining to anyone else. Bring it to me. And then when you get out there, you can let your gentle spirit be made known to all. And when people see your gentle spirit and say, how can you be like that? Especially given what you've been through, you can say, for real, you can say, I talk to the living God of the universe, and he answers me, and he gives me his peace, even in the midst of my darkest hour, actually, especially in the midst of my darkest hour. You talk to God in that way? Yes, I do. You see, he's not a distant, impersonal deity like the force be with you. But he comes up close, intimate, personal. He's truly present with us in all circumstances. And as such, we are granted this personal privilege in prayer with the promise that all things are going to work out according to his plans. And that's not a cliche. That's just the truth. And from a completely human perspective, that can be daunting, and yet it's so real. He's so real. I just know that I need not be anxious and that I have nothing to fear. I can be sad, I can weep, I can mourn, I can be hurting just like anyone else. We even see that with Jesus as when Lazarus had died. Jesus wept so loudly in the Greek, it's like it's the sound a horse makes, like, ah! I mean, so we can do that. But in the midst of it, I'm experiencing the peace of God with the promise that he is guarding my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. But I can't really explain it any further because it's beyond understanding. That's what the word says. It's so profound. It's so real. It's so comforting. It's so necessary but it's beyond understanding. I can't really say a whole lot more about it. You know, um, speaking of the Jesus revolution, when, uh, uh, you know, Greg Laurie, remember that figure in the Jesus revolution, Greg Laurie? He's the guy that eventually would start Harvest Ministries and has reached millions of people with the gospel now. He lost a son in a car accident when the son was 34 years old. Of course, just devastated like like we have been with our daughter. And I saw uh, Craig interview Chuck over a number of things, you know, about the Jesus uh, revolution, that time period and everything that they went through together. And he said, Chuck, when when we lost our son and, you know, we had the outpouring Uh, of everybody coming to us and their condolences and offering to help and so forth, all wonderful stuff. The most memorable thing that happened is when you came and you knocked at my door and you came in and you said this, Greg, right now you have to focus on what you know, not what you don't know. That's what you have to do right now. You have to focus on what you know, not what you don't know. I can't explain that peace, but I am experiencing it. And think about this. It was while Jesus was exercising his privilege of prayer with the Father that he beckons the Father. 
Oh, that they may be one even as you, Father, in me, and I am in you, that they may be in us. It's while Jesus himself is exercising his privilege that he says that. He so wants us to know and experience his powerful presence and the privilege of prayer. Let's continue. We've looked at those two. Let's transition to the practice of pondering. Now listen to this. This often gets left out in this uh, Philippians passage. We usually stop at seven, but listen to eight and nine. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you've learned and received from me and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Now, if you're like me, I'm looking for direction on how to move closer and closer into this living relationship that has this truly transforming effect on my daily walk with the Lord. Well, interestingly, the apostle gets super practical here, and it has to do with our thought life. Time would fail me if I parsed out uh, each one of these adjectives that we are given here from the original language. So instead, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to preface it with two thoughts. These terms that are given here, true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise, find their primary origin in the divine and the things of the divine and even the things of people assembled in the church. So they are referring to more about the transcendent, the divine, the eternal, the heavenly realities. So wherein we might be tempted to think, okay, I'm having a bad day. And what the apostle's saying is, instead of complaining about it, um, I want you to meditate on things that are good. Uh, like I have a wonderful family. Uh, we have food on the table. I'm going to think about these lovely things, right? And that, that's the temptation. The kind of stuff that you might talk about are sitting around the Thanksgiving table on Thursday. I'm grateful for this. I'm grateful for that. But, but what is in view here goes way beyond meditating on how happy we are that our basic physical or emotional needs are being met. Think in terms of divine realities, divine attributes, divine truth found in Scripture, theological pillars that apply to us as his people. And then secondly, get this, because these adjectives are pointing primarily to divine beauty, glory, and reality, what is in view here is not arbitrary or mystery, so it's not like think like, you know, get into a state of meditation and come up with some thoughts and so forth. Um, they're not subjective ideas that we might come up with or that we might discover. And this might seem ironic at first because he's saying think. So when we think, we think maybe, you know, just creatively. What's in view here are objective realities, even rational uh, proof and realities of things. So what's in view here isn't, ah, I think about this and it makes me feel good. What's in view here is the cross, um, the reality that I'm a sinner and that Jesus has made me whole. That's what he's talking about. Subjective meditation and exploration will get us nowhere except where it has gotten us in today's secular relativistic, relativistic culture a hundred differing opinions on everything, with none of them correct. Paul is not summoning us here 
for ideas about what to be thankful for. He's summoning us here to reflect on what is true in accordance with God's word. It's what we know. It's what Chuck Smith told Greg Laurie. It's focus on what you know. I'm a sinner, and I can't save myself. But God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to do what I couldn't do, to live the life that I couldn't live, to die the death that I couldn't die, because if my death would be for my own sin, his death was for our sin. To rise from a grave that I would have been trapped in for eternity, and to be seated now at the right hand of the Father, and be given all authority, all power in heaven and on earth, even to be present with us, to walk with us, to carry us, to strengthen us, to let us know that he hasn't forgotten us. He's not mad at us. Those are the truths that Paul is talking about in calling us to think about these things. Now, if you think about it, this is the very thing Jesus is doing on that same night that he prayed this prayer, on that same night that he gathered his disciples around the Passover meal, that same meal where he took bread and he broke it and said, this is my body given for you. I want you to think about that. He took the cup and he says, this is my blood shed for you. And I want you to think about that. And I want you to do this often for the remembrance. You have bad memories in your sinful state again and again. I want you to come back to this table often. And I want you to remember what this table means. I want you to remember where you would be without this table. I want you to remember, you, you know, your plight if God hadn't come down when you were still sinners to rescue you. And that's what this table is about. Every time we come, and we're going to come here shortly, we come and remember this bread is my body given for you. This cup is my blood shed for you. Remember. Remember. Come by faith, believing, and remember. And you will be strengthened with food that endures unto eternal life because I will be feeding you. I will be present with you. You will be feeding on me, and you will receive food that endures. I, let me pray, and then I'm going to invite um, the, the servers up for the Lord's Supper. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we, we don't come to you and ponder and pray and rejoice so you will love us. We thank you, Lord, that we rejoice and we pray and we ponder because you love us. And that is what is seen in this meal. Lord, we thank you that you do give us a peace that surpasses human understanding to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Be with us now, Lord. Strengthen us and feed us in this meal. In Jesus' name, amen.